everyone. I have some debilitatingly tough news reporting to do on this episode. That's why I sound somber, because I feel somber. This is all going to be off the top of my head. I'm not going to read anything. I'm not going to quote anyone. When I was uh, a, uh, a child, at the tender age of five, I was forced to sell drugs the hardcore substances if you will the reason why I'm pausing when I talk is for the gravity and the magnitude of my words to be seasoned with mercy to be mature with grace and plus this is excruciating to um, to even share that's why it's gonna be an episode where I pause often before I speak actually witnessing members of the LGBTQI plus community get harassed, beaten, and killed, as well as face stalkings and intrusions by certain members of the Italian Mafia because they were not heterosexual and because a lot of them were not cisgender either even the ones that um, were cisgendered ended up suffering the same fates because of their sexual orientation not being of heterosexuality because in the crime world people get uh, harassed, beaten 
killed or stalked or intruded upon. That are members of the LGBTQI plus community. The crime world is that queer phobic. It's phobic against anyone not cisgender and not heterosexual. And that was one of the reasons why I hid my curiosity about my own sexual orientation and gender identity at that time. Because I knew that those same fates could happen to me. And I don't say that lightly. I don't say that in jest or in jest. I don't say that. Just say it. I don't even say it to entertain or be humorous because there's nothing entertaining or humorous about these these unwordables. Unwordables, you know. The crime world is also ableist. If they suspect that you are a person with any kind of disability, they will um, give you the same fates that I said happened to the LGBTQ plus community members that I was around during such a pivotal time in my life. And I saw some people who were uh, special needs, as they're called by society. I don't call them that. They were harassed, beaten, killed, and um, stalking and upon by members of the Italian Mafia, too. So that's why I hit my autism. The big reason why I hit my autism growing up. Um, so I hit my thoughts of my being LGBTQI plus and my autism growing up because of what I witnessed back then. Um, the disability discrimination and the um, discrimination against um, gender and sexually diverse persons are very rampant and common in the world of crime. I remember when I was a and those feelings when I witnessed those things that I just said to you. The only word I can think of is heart-wrenching. Um, I remember when I was a um, a five-year-old child again. I can uh, vividly recall uh, instances where I was known for being notorious in the streets of Washington, D.C. I met all the street crews in Washington, D.C. You know the episodes I did about the street crews previously? I met each and every street crew within Washington, D.C., and at one point, they all had me 
hustle hardcore drugs for them. So in my book, Autism is My Super Blessing, Volume 1, My Neurodiversity Freedom Narrative, which is on Amazon.com, I talk about drug crews within the book. And within the book, um, I use drug crews as synonymous for street crews. And I was talking about all those crews within the book, all those street crews in the book, I was talking about them all. So drug crews are the same as street crews in Washington, D.C. In fact, um, in fact, um, gang culture in Washington, D.C., the gang bangers and gang leaders in, uh, Washington, D.C., they call themselves street crews or drug crews. It's their way of not being as big as the Crips and Bloods within um, the state of California in North America. And so I had to hustle hardcore drugs for all the street crews in Washington, D.C., Because they forced me to, and I was was known for walking the streets of D.C., and, you know, they recruited me. Um, There were times where I had to... be intimidating to any street crew that was trying to get at the crews I was a part of. This is before I joined them when they, I, well, they forced me to join them, so I joined them, they stopped trying to get at the crew I was in. That happened each time I was with a crew. Every time a crew would oppose me, because they were the most scared of me, they ended up recruiting me. So at one point, all the recruits would recruit me. They were like, okay, we, Antonio can fight. You know, Antonio can um, use his gun well. I never took anybody's life. I never ordered anyone's life to be taken. I want to say that on record. But I had the knowledge of the military when it came to using deadly weapons because of what the criminals taught me. So... I was known for being capable of being a um, trained child killer, and I could also fight and scrap um, back then. I could. I was WWE, WWF, and all the martial arts wrapped up in one person, including heavyweight boxing and heavyweight kickboxing championships type of fighting style I had. I was forced in the streets. So that's why street crews would battle each other, but they'll have me work for them all. And so I remember um, when I say intimidating all my vicious forceful capabilities, that's what I mean when I say that in the past. 
so I remember within that world of crime that um, I was forced to uh, be a part of It was, um, weird how I was, as a child, I was forced to slap people fives, and that's how they got their drugs, and they would slap me fives right back, and that's how I would get drug money in return. Um, I remember the drug processors, um, I remember seeing drug houses get raided up with the battering rams, the batterams. Um, I was notorious in Streets of D.C. also because each time I was forced to get into a fight and I would usually would win because in the crime world some folks would try to punk you. Each time a criminal would kill for me, even though I never ordered them to do that, they would do that on their own volition. And each time a criminal would rob for me, even though I never ordered them to do that either, they would do that on their own volition too. My street credibility and quotations would um, would continue to rise. Therefore, my being notorious, my being infamous, my um, crime-based notoriety would rise to, and more and more people heard about my reputation. And a lot of people who are civilians you know, no civilian believed it because in their mind, if Antonio had to act tough, it was because women were being disrespected and innocent people were being disrespected and marginalized people would be disrespected because even among civilians, because I took a stand for them by literally fighting for them whenever they got picked on, they didn't think I had anything to do with crime. Plus, I had customers who, drug customers, unfortunately, they would defend me too. I remember there were times they literally fought for me when some folks were trying to pick on me within the crime world. I mean, beat them down to bloody pulps, uh, cussing them out as well. And I had cuss, you know, drug customers. We're also civilians, so whenever somebody tried to say something bad about me, given that death stare, they would shut up immediately. And you had civilians who were a part of the crime world who, if you tried to say something bad about me, they would beat you down on the spot. So I had drug customers and other civilians who um, would beat you down on the spot if you, they thought that you were trying to disrespect me to my face behind my back. And this happened here and there, not that often. But there were moments. Um, 
these are things I didn't share in the book. I couldn't share everything in the book, but since I got a podcast, I could put it out here. Uh... I remember when I was a child, I used to drive cars. I remember stopping at the red light, talking to passengers on the side. Uh, Sometimes it would be cars full of women. I rolled down my window, rolled down their window, and we would just have pleasant interactions while waiting for the light, smiling at each other, making each other laugh, greeting each other. All the human pleasantries. I remember having um, pedestrians when it was their turn to walk across the street while I'm waiting for the red light, and I'm in my and I'm in a car, luxurious car. I tended to drive luxurious cars because the criminals thought, oh, you know, status symbol, you hustling, so you gotta look the hustler part. Nino. While they're waiting across the street, um, you know, people will wave at me, greet me, say hello, joke with me, and uh, all the human pleasantries, pleasant interactions while they're crossing the street. So when the light was red, I would just drive. I was a polite driver. I remember sometimes people would ask me for rides while they crossed the street and they would quickly hop in my car. Well, a car. It tended to be either a bought car from a criminal that they bought and gave to me or it was a stolen luxurious car and they would give me the keys. I remember the gear shifts and um, the jack. I think it was, you know, what you put on the steering wheel. I remember they gave me that too. As a way of locking it, you know, I remember that. Um, And I would take people to where they want to go. I remember waving at people as they were pedestrians crossing the street. I remember slowing up when I would drive and I would have people, you know, walk this walk it could be an elderly person or just people in general they would say you know they would express kind words and kind compliments to me as they cross the street waving blowing kisses at me winking at me give me thumbs up and uh you know pointing at me as if to say how awesome i am that happened quite often too and uh Especially, it happened more from women than any other group of people. So I never ran into anybody. I always slowed up or sometimes, you know, I never had anybody beat the horn when I would drive because I was the kind of driver where I could drive succinctly and smoothly as a child. Um, But at the same time, um, I remember times where I had to blow the horn but I would do it in a nice way. I was never a beep beep. I was just like beep and people would just drive. And people were like, oh okay, cool, I'm sorry, and apologized to me as we rolled down the window. T- 
talk for a split second and then go. They apologize to me. I never had an accident. I was uh, driving on highways. I remember driving in traffic. I could drive in traffic well. I could drive in highways. So I remember pulling, you know, over to the car. I remember pulling the just cars over. Plus, I had adults in the car usually. So when I would pay the toll roads, um, when it was time to pay the toll roads, the adults would quickly lean over to the seat to make it look like they're the driving the car, and they would, you know, I they would give me toll road money, and I would give it to the toll road. Or sometimes I had the money, but I would hand it to them to pay. So I was paying toll roads. I remember, you know, I could try. I never got in a highway accident. I never got in a um, collision. I could drive around car accidents just fine. Um, whew, this is rough to say. I remember, like, when. I was driving in in the cars. I remember there were times where I would have to pull over, go to the bathroom. Sometimes when you drive a car or a vehicle and you see you know, like a gas station, you see bathrooms with it, and it looks like a parking area. To you know, those bathroom tolls to the side. It's like a bathroom toll road kind of thing. I don't know the proper name for it at the moment. It escapes me. But I remember pulling over and using that. But because I had adults in the car, no one really thought it was me when I would drive because the adults would be close to me. People didn't really bat an eye. When I would drive, they wouldn't be close to me in the passenger seat, but they liked when I drive, so they would lean over because it looks like an adult driving, but it's actually me, the child driving. So I remember using the bathroom, pumping the gas. I remember adults in my car would help pump the gas. They would sometimes drive for me because I would get tired, and so we would take turns driving for each other. You know, they would pump the gas sometimes. Sometimes they had to go to the bathrooms. Sometimes they had to go to the bathrooms. We used, you know, different bathrooms, you know, because not all of them were men. Most of them were women. Sometimes women had me in the bathrooms with them, just using the bathroom. Not, you know, nothing sexually heinous happened or no violence of the heinous happened in the bathroom. It's just sometimes they're like, hey, you know, if at first we used different bathrooms that are like here with me just use the same bathroom that we're in and I remember at that time and even when I got older there are times where I used women's bathrooms you know and women wouldn't bat an eye I would sometimes have to run into the bathroom the women's bathroom is usually the it's usually the clean, the cleanest and it's usually the ones closest to me so when I really had to go super bad I would just dart into the nearest bathroom and be a woman's bathroom. I wouldn't even think much about it. Like, I saw it, but I'm so busy going to the bathroom. Like, I just gotta go to the bathroom. I, I, I just gotta go in. And sometimes it'd be a line full of women in the bathroom and, um, you know, different stalls, 
no minerals, just stars. And they would treat me as if I was one of them. And they were, they sometimes let me use the bathroom before them, which I was amazed because they really all had to go, but they wouldn't wait on me. And so I would, I took the shortest amount of time because usually I didn't have to take a number two. It was usually number one. And um, it was amazing how, you know, um, that occurred. And they really liked me because I should, whenever I did take a number two, it wasn't that long. It was kaplum, clean up real good, exit out. And when they would use the bathroom, they were not grossed out because I would clean up the seat well, polishing everything well. There would be no stains within the um, the toilet because I would just really scrub real fast. I was good at all that. So it would look like a brand new toilet every time I was done. And um, I even put the toilet seat, not toilet, I would keep have the toilet seat down. I would have the toilet seat down. Because a lot of women hate hate it when guys leave it up, the toilet seat up. I would leave the toilet seat down. When I reach the bathroom, I would put the um, toilet um, paper around the um, seat. And then I would flush all that before I would leave out to go wash my hands. And I would wash my hands real good with the hand sanitizer. And then I would dart out. So that happened all the that happened quite often, you know. I could be in public, I just I had to really go. And I never got in trouble for these things. This happened when I was in the world of crime against my will and when I got out of the world of crime. I remember that quite well. And women were like, take your time. You know, we're patient with you. Take as long as you need. This is when I was in the bathroom sharing it with them in the women's bathrooms. So another time being in the crime world, I had to dodge bullets because there are times where they would shoot around me. Was I ever shot at? Yeah. So many times. And I saw people dodge bullets because they were shot at so many times too. Sometimes they would get just get to shooting at each other that the bullets would be near us and we would all have to dodge many times at the same time. I remember you know being within that crime world My clothes would be laundried, washed, and dried before I would step to my mom's home apartment. I remember, and I mentioned this before, but I gotta mention this again. You know, in the Notorious movie, Biggie in high school, he goes to the rooftop, changes the clothes his mother gave him, and puts on drug dealer flashy clothes. Mine was similar to that, but I never did that on my mother's roof. I did that on the roof of a criminal who 
had me change clothes. It was usually either a king pin or a queen pin. And when I would get back to my mother's apartment, my clothes would be perfectly washed and perfectly dried by the criminals because they'll have my regular clothes on. So it so no drug paraphernalia or anything criminal would be on the clothes and my mom wouldn't notice anything. I, they didn't, they put perfume and cologne, but it wasn't super strong. It was like, okay, anybody around me, like, oh, he smelled good, he, okay. And they had, and the criminals always told me, wash up before your mom comes home. So when I would, you know, shower, my mom's brother would be in there, in, in the room. I would just, you know, because he understood that I was outside for like at least an hour, he didn't care that I went. I would bathe myself. I would bathe myself all the time. So by that time, I knew how to bathe myself when I would shower up. So that's what happened. And nobody would bat an eye. Not even him. Because I lived with him during that time. I can tell you this, all the crime film movies are the G-rated versions of what I saw in real life. Because in real life, all the aspects of crime in terms of the violence, the drugs, the alcohol, the sex, the nightlife, the profanity, the exploits, the all the mayhem are more than if any times worse than they are in real life. So y'all get the clean versions of the most dreadful, dirty versions of reality. And so, those are some of my memories of being in that world. Um, I remember the street crew that I did the most hustling for against my will was the one at Columbia Heights. You know, the village crew. Because I lived a few minutes away from that neighborhood. So that was the street crew that I was forced to be a part of the most, hustled for the most, recruited in the most, actually, too.
it's rough for me to talk about. As y'all know. There's also robbing subways when people would catch the train too. That was common in that world and I witnessed. This is still rough to talk about. Another thing that I do, unfortunately, remember was, The reality of fearing for my life and other people fear for their life quite all the time. Not knowing you're gonna know where your next meal is coming from, or if you're gonna eat again, you're gonna sleep again, you're gonna go to school again, if you're gonna be around your family. are common fears that many people in that world share about later, don't share at all, or share while it's happening. They may not always share while it's happening, even though some do. So I need people to really understand that the world of crime is not worthy of being glorified at all. It's all reprehensible because crime is reprehensible. It's all repugnant because the world of crime is repugnant. And crime is repugnant and um, it's all repellent because crime is repellent, the world of crime is. The world of crime is reprehensible, really is. I repeat it because that's, those are the words I can really think to say in my heart right now. So I hope y'all can try your best to understand to the best of your ability. Because that world is no joke. And nothing that happens in that world is a joke.
I'll tell this story just in case if I didn't share in my book. I was two years old when I was diagnosed with pervasive developmental disorder. I remember these experts at DC public schools felt that I would not achieve any of the milestones that they thought a toddler and a young person should have already achieved by now. I didn't talk to strangers because my parents said don't talk to strangers. And so they felt that I was severely developmentally delayed. They said I would never talk, walk. Be successful. They thought I would be a lifeless vegetable in every which way. When I was three, my very first sentences was stop bullying my friend. My words were about others. I was born to be an advocate. My words were not about me. And that's when the experts started to recognize that it's, you know, it's possible for Antonio to talk because he just did. I remember I was four when I was diagnosed with high-functioning autism. The people at D.C. public schools, these so-called educational experts, felt that I still had a disability, but they felt, well, he's quote-unquote normal, he's quote-unquote regular. And normal, regular, and functionality are controversial conversations and controversial language to use within the spectrum community of people who are on the spectrum and people who sympathize and empathize with people on the spectrum. I remember these public schools admit they were wrong in terms of the pervasive mental disorder part because I didn't talk on their timetable, I talked online. So in 1997, when I was four years old, my parents, um, with the help of educa- with the help of educational lawyers, sued on my behalf because DC Public Schools wasn't trying to pay my public school tuition. Uh, They were trying to say that the Americans with Disabilities Act, the ADA, had a clause that said the appropriate public education clause, and they were like, no, we're not going to pay the tuition for Antonio to attend private education, special education schools because it's pricey. They're afraid of costly expenses, to, for layman's terms. And so the judge dismissed their notions because it was frivolous and ridiculous to the judge and to me and to my family, my parents. So they lost. We won and had to pay my public education, special education, until I graduated, graduated high school. That was DC Public Schools. They lost and I won. I remember one person, his name was Zaire Durant Young, who was instrumental in having a meeting with my parents when they said, 
to all of us. Dan Antonio has achieved every milestone we have at Ivy Mount School of Rockville, Maryland. We think Antonio should get a high school diploma somewhere else because we don't, we, we've done all we could with him and he surpassed every expectation. Let's get my high school diploma. And the reason why they said that is because at the Ivy Mount School, they don't give out high school diplomas, they just give out certificates. But um, at the Chelsea School, that's where I got my high school diploma. And my parents were just very teary-eyed, very joyful. My child can get a diploma. Despite all the labels, my child can get an actual high school diploma. Which makes it easier for me to go to college, which it did. That's why I was able to end up at Beacon College in Leesburg, Florida. 40 miles away from the Orlando International Airport. So, I'm a middle school valedictorian, high school valedictorian, college graduate, human services major, psychology minor. I'm a podcaster, of course, and I'm a orator, public speaker, I'm a mentor, I'm an advocate for neurodiversity, autism rights, disability, and human rights pioneer in terms of, of rights, entitlements, and prerogatives. And so, I'm really grateful to even share this news with y'all because, um, times it's not easy to share such news but I can do this legally on a legal platform such as this podcast of ours and I want to say how grateful I've been to hear you all you know give me a chance I absolutely need it opportunities to share this around my people, but I know I absolutely can in this format, in this formation as well. Y'all the right people for me to share this with, because a lot of people don't want to deal with the reality pain in life, but I sure as hell do, damn it, that's what the fuck I'd love to do, it's my shit, the hell's nothing wrong with that, it's ass backwards, you run from healing the pain, you gotta bless the world with your healing pain. So, I'm tired of you, so.
I have more to share. And so, I'm about to do that now. So, within the crime world, there is a lot of the whole um, you have to there's a lot of intimidation in the sense that within that world if you are not careful what you say, think, do, or feel, or how you look at people, then violence and murder can happen to you and those in your life and those closest to you. Those are things that a lot of people don't consider or even have thoughtfulness about. A lot of times that world can be very, very empty of compassion and concern for people to be human. But the crime world is a it's a it's a jungle, it's a wilderness, it's the wild, wild east, west, north and south. It's animalistic. Primal animals they are. They like to prey on people, P-R-E-Y. Predatory style. So those are things I um, dealt with when I was in that world of, of crime. Um, I was forced to know who was addicted. Who was pushing the drugs who was doing all types of crimes who was all the accomplices and who was a part of the crime world directly or indirectly whether they were consumers or practitioners themselves I want to be honest about something. I still want to be a supermodel. I want now I'm going to read something. A supermodel, also called super-model, or supermodel is a highly paid fashion model who usually has a worldwide reputation after a background in hot tech culture and commercial modeling. So the term supermodel became prominent in popular culture in the 1990s. Supermodels usually work for prominent fashion designers and clothing brands. They may have multi-million dollar contracts, endorsements, and campaigns. Supermodels have branded themselves as household names of worldwide recognition is associated with their modeling careers. They have been on the cover of leading fashion magazines.
So I want to be a male supermodel. I want to appear in advertisements for clothing, cologne, sports, and other such accessories. So that's what I want to be. I felt like I had to make it lighthearted by adding something positive because a lot of what I shared was just rough. And so... Of course, I want to be a naked supermodel. Because again, like I said in the other episode, I want to be a nude model. I want to be a model who poses new for erotic or sensual photos. So yes, I want to be an erotic photography model. I want to be a fetish model, a person who models fetish clothing or devices. I want to be a model who models fetish clothing or devices that augment their body in a fetish-like manner in fetishistic situations, though I may not work exclusively in that form of modeling. So I want to be that. Of course, I want to be a person with a role to promote, display, or advertise commercial products. So yes, I want to be a model. I want to... I want to serve... I want to... Through notably fashion, clothing, and fashion shows. Yes, I want to do fashion shows. or just, And I want to serve as a visual aid for people who are creating works of art or to pose for photography. So I want to do that. I want to be an art model. An art model poses often new for visual arts as part of the creative process, providing a reference for the human body and the work of art. So that's what I want to do. I want to be a model who poses for any visual art. Poses, I want to be a model who poses for any visual artist as part of the creative process. I thought this would make... Got to add some lightheartedness to it because what I'm saying is pretty pretty damn difficult I want to be A person, I, I want to be a person who does fashion modeling, runway modeling, magazine modeling. I want to, I want to be a black model. You know, part of the Black is Beautiful movement. I want to do that. I want to be a fit model I want to be a fitting model I want to be a glamour model I want to be an alternative model I want to be a parts model I want to be a hand model 
I want to be a fitness model. I want to be a commercial print and a camera model. I want to be a promotional model. I want to be a spokes model. I want to be a trade show model. I want to be an atmosphere model. I want to be a podium model. I want to be an art model. I want to be an Instagram model. A hip-hop model. I would love to do that. I want to work for modeling agencies. I want to be a music video model. I want to be the male version of a video vixen. That would be awesome. So, yes, even though I was in the crime world, against my will, I do have dreams. And so, let me read to you about the world of crime. Um, In regards to the mafia. When I was forced to be around them, I witnessed arson, assault, bribery, counterfeiting, drug trafficking, extortion, fencing, fraud, illegal gambling, loan sharking, money laundering, murder, pornography, prostitution, racketeering, robbery, smuggling, theft, and theft weapons trafficking when I was around them. Those are the criminal activities that I saw them engage in. And um, I just remember being in that world. And feeling fear that's scarier than fear itself. When I was around the mafia, I witnessed lynchings, hangings, and people hanging themselves and... uh, 
I even witnessed people who were gagged and tied up, bound to chairs. I saw people hitting each other with inanimate objects. It could be a baseball bat. It could be shoes. It could be sticks. It could be An antenna could be people picking up anything off the ground and flinging it and hitting people with it. could be hitting each other with video game equipment. Just anything like that. Now you understand more of the reasons why agnosticism not buying into the religious definitions of the biblical God would, would put me in atheist category. And I understand more my agnosticism. You know, I'm open to the concepts of, you know, deities and Christ figures. However, the religious definitions are all about the promotions of dethroning the human rights movement any God or Christ that is an enemy of the human rights movement, which is clearly depicted in these religious text canons, I cannot get with them, meaning they're unworthy of my worship and they have no right to my devotion. So thank you all for hearing the full story of my life in organized crime. I call it disorganized crime because there's nothing truly organized about crime, especially pure evil. There's more. When I was in around the Mafia, They thought I was a black Italian because my name, Antonio, they would say it in such an Italian 
Spanish way that they thought, okay, I was a full-blooded black Italian, but they said it in such racist ways. Um, And being within that world, they thought it would that because I'm from, they thought because I'm from Italy that I should automatically join the Italian Mafia. Um, I thought about how being in that world of being in the mob was they were worse than what you see in the movies and television there were women contract killers there were women leading crime families they were the the biggest bosses the biggest crime bosses the biggest crime lords from what I saw. 